Three, two, one. Welcome to the David the Dog Trainer podcast. We're on episode eighty-three. What are we at? Four. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure this time. Are we sure it's eighty-four? Yeah, the last one we did was with uh, eighty-three was Sage's Way. Yeah, Sage's Way. I think so, you're right. Yep, I think, I think we're, we're on eighty-four. 84. Slick. Well, we're at eighty-four. Uh, eighty-four podcast episodes. Here we are. Been out of town for about seven or eight days. Just got back on Monday morning at 4 a.m. and yeah. jumped into a very busy day of lessons. We're kind of in crunch time right now because I'm back for like two and a half weeks and then we leave for another like five days. So really? Yeah. Jeez. I know. So it's like it's like <laughs> it's funny in my brain. Like I programmed myself. I was like, as soon as I got back Monday, I was like crunch time. No days off. Yeah. Working full, you know, 10 hour days, like every day, like we're getting everything done. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so (laughs) it's been good so far. I've had a pretty strong, um, um, comeback, if Mm -hmm. you will. You know what I mean? Good. I feel like getting back on the horse wasn't too hard this time. Yeah. So do you feel rested and recharged? I would say I, I would say that I do. Yeah. You know, we've been intentionally like going to bed like very early also the last couple of days. Just, you know, I just want to. I want to feel good. Yeah. I've kept the, the alcohol consumption since we've been home has been very, very low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost zero. Uh, this is a crunch time, man. Like yeah. two weeks. You got to crank it out. Then we'll go spend a couple days on the old Nantucket. Oh. And then uh, okay. we'll be back. That'll be fun. A little Labor Day Nantucket, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, that'll be nice. It's the year of, it's, it's the island life year is the conclusion I've come to. Pretty much I'm seeing all the islands this year. Yeah, two after week. I think you're gonna have some really nice weather out yes. there too. I'm so excited, dude. <laughs> we kind of been checking the forecast and stuff. It's gonna be like we like low seventies. Oh yeah. You know that like when you're chilling on the beach at night, you put a little, yeah. just a little like light, yeah, light, light sweatshirt yep. on. You know, <laughs> a little better than that 105 Key West temperature I just got back from. <sighs> yeah, you're melting down there. So, so here we are. We're What's back. new, Josh? <laughs> Nothing quite as exciting uh, for you, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, <clears throat> just took um, a bunch of headshots for my place group. Mm-hmm. Um, got to meet all the uh, higher ups in their in their uh, business. Yeah, yeah. It's kind it's uh, it's so weird when I take all these photos for you know like the VP of operations and the CFO oh, yeah. and you know and I'm like wow and and then I really get to see the depth of these companies you know yes and I'm just like wow. It, it it makes me just want to pick their brain so much, you know. Like, how did you how did you make it from this to this, you know? Yeah, you and should start trying to do that if you haven't already. <clears throat> that was one of my favorite things. I did a lot of. I haven't really done as much. I need this is something I need to do more of as well, actually. But I when I first started Heights, we had a couple clients that were we'll call them higher ups. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like they were yeah. influential, successful people, yeah. right? And um, there were a couple people in particular that I can think of that I remember reaching out to and be like, yo, like, can we just like meet for 15 minutes for coffee or whatever? Yeah. You know, I just want to pick your brain. And there were a couple people in particular that were so generous with their time, yeah. you know, and, and sat there and just talked to me and mm-hmm. uh, learned a lot from that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, it's important, I think, to branch outside of your industry of expertise and, you know, they say, like, you know, when you find, like, mentors or whatever it may be, like, you mm-hmm. got to have people that are above, 
you. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got to have people that are doing bigger things than what you're doing. Yeah. And not just like a little bit more, but like massively more, you yeah, know, exactly. helps you put things in perspective better, build a better framework for yourself and your life and create better target goals and stuff. Yeah. So, so essential. Yeah, for sure. So, but yeah, I got to do that. And then uh, tomorrow I'm actually going to uh, the Mariners watch. Oh yeah. Yeah. That building. That's uh, where's the, that at? It's um, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, like Hingetown, like Saucy Brew Works. Yep. Yeah, and it's like maybe like a couple of buildings down. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's uh, it's like that kind of that little high rise one. Yeah. Not not the yeah. black and white yeah, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the, uh-huh. the other one. So nice. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so that it'll be fun. Uh, it's it's just been like I told you a couple episodes ago, like way out of my wheelhouse my usual thing of like doing food and stuff but uh it's been a great learning experience and it's been fun to get back into uh i guess real estate work and stuff so so let me ask you this so you said i remember sometime around when we started the podcast right Mm -hmm. you were really shifting to food slash product photography and you were like you know like before you used to do like a little bit of everything Right. And like that, you were like kind of niching into a particular thing. Mm -hmm. And now you're kind of branching to some outside things again, but it doesn't feel it's not the same, obviously. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, I'm scrambling to do all these other things. What's your mentality in this shift again? And how are you, you know, how are you either shifting your goal of what you want to keep doing? Mm -hmm. Right. Or how are you fitting this into this is going to continue to help the food and product photography scene? Does that make sense? That yeah. question. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, it makes sense. Um I mean, yeah, the 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 ultimate eye on the prize is still, you know, the food and product photography, obviously, but I think I don't want to say I felt, you know, like bored, a little bored of it or whatever. I wouldn't say that, but it's been nice, like a refresh, you know, kind of a feeling to just go and learn some new stuff. Um Mm-hmm. But I'm still definitely heavily working on on that as my main goal of the food product photography. Um, I guess now it's not it wasn't a scramble; it's more like a, an opportunity that I couldn't pass up, kind of thing. Sure, you know it, and it just kind of aligned itself with right now. Like all my clients are kind of up to date in the food stuff, so I've just had a little extra time in the next couple months to be able to kind of pursue a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as uh, reaching out to new clients for the product side. So actually, I guess food is kind of maybe going to take a backseat for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, I have reached out to like three or four different um, products, like local businesses and stuff. Um, so I guess it's just me trying to, I don't know, I feel like I'm tangenting a million things here. but I Welcome feel, to my world. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, ju- I, I feel like... Um, I just kind of need to challenge myself a little bit. I like that. You know, without without making it my main focus. Yeah, you know, I think there's something to, like, even, like, equating this to the dog training world, right? Like, we have our niche of what we do, mm-hmm. right? Behavioral modification, stuff like that. Yeah. But there are still times we get clients that come in that have these specific other goals on top of the behavioral stuff yeah. that maybe isn't something we do every single day mm-hmm. that we could still help them with. And I think it's important to sharpen those outside tools, you know, mm-hmm. to, to just make sure you're keeping yourself well-rounded. 
All yeah, right. Exactly. And, and maybe that's, you know, keeping yourself educated as far as what people are doing in these outside worlds, mm-hmm. right? Figuring out how maybe all of it can mesh together a little bit. And that umbrella can go from just product and food to like general, like not everyday photo needs, obviously, but mm-hmm. general professional business photography or something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Because like yeah. technically you get into like the type of real estate photography you're doing right now. Like that is... It's very, it's, it is like you are working for a company, not an individual. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think developing these professional relationships and stuff like that will just continue to get you more connected with whatever types of smaller niches you want to. So I could, yeah. I could totally see how this all spins together for yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. I think it, that's cool actually. Yeah. As opposed to like, you're doing this and then it's like, oh, Sally needs her fucking senior photos done, right? So we're going to go do those and this. It's like, no, you're still, you're working with businesses right now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And whether those business needs are a restaurant, whether they're a product company, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's a real estate company, like you are a business photographer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And And I think looking at it that way definitely makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, I will say going from, especially from, you know, intro and out and then, this my place group, you know, they're, they're these very high, highly successful real estate and development companies, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it and it's been great, yeah, like you said, to talk with them and be able to kind of know the language that they look for, you know, to to really seal a deal with them, and then also like the real estate side of everything, like. When I go in for restaurants, I also am usually taking facility photos. So it's like, yeah, it's just honing that skill that I can offer people as well, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's that's me. That's me. This last couple of weeks, dope. I like it. I also went to Delmonico's and uh, Blue so, Point. So good. Oh, I love Blue Point so much. I've dude. never been to Delmonico though. Oh, you need to go. Yeah. Oh I'd my like god, to. dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the lobster bisque. That's all I'm gonna say. Man, we had some crazy good like lobster oh, soup oh, stuff yeah. out there. Yeah, maybe you should wait a couple of months because you you had it straight from the source of <laughs> yeah. seafood heaven. We had, <laughs> we had good stuff. All right. Well, listen. So we're we're making up this week. We're going to do two episodes this week. Today is going to kind of be our ease back in episode. It's not going to be super crazy. You know, it came to my attention the other day that we don't do enough Q. Like Paige told me this yesterday. I think she said, you know, we get a lot of questions and you like type. You know, you send answers back to people in the comments and stuff like that, but you're not doing like the in-depth answers like you used to. Mm. I was like, you're right. It's true. She's right. She is. So I pulled up a handful of questions. We're going to get into a little Q&A today, obviously. Cool. Um, Got, you know, a decent amount of them, obviously, that we can kind of burn into. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been a lot of stuff going on in the dog world over the last couple of weeks, man. And, you know, I think our next episode we do this week is going to be, it's going to be the juicy episode. You know what I mean? It's going to be the... You know, just like it's going to be another one of those like real talk episodes because like mm-hmm. just just kind of briefly giving you guys a glimpse into some of the things that have been going on lately. So obviously the whole freaking the the um, the like abuse videos in the dog world have been running rampant lately. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 pretty insane, actually. Yeah. Right. Like so there was one recently. I don't remember exactly where they were from. But like a training company, a Cypress Arrow or something like that, I yeah. think was the name of it. I don't remember exactly where they were from. Mm-hmm. Two videos came out of them. Freaking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Just absurd. Yep. Right? So they, and actually this is like, 
The other crazy thing about it is this is the first time we're really seeing a lot of like accountability and prosecution like involved in them, right? Yeah. So like both of these people I believe have been arrested. I think they might be on bail or something right now, but whatever. Yeah. They're uh, they got they're arrested. Charged, you know what yeah. I mean? Like they're getting charged for this, mm-hmm. right? This is going to be a big deal for them oh, obviously, yeah. right? Uh just this morning I'm on my phone scrolling and I see uh some canine officer or something like that who's also a trainer in Connecticut, like the new Canaan area. Uh, just got arrested for uh, same deal, some sort of like abuse situation. I didn't see any videos or anything. And even as like reading the articles, it was very unclear on exactly what happened. Yeah. But again, another situation. We got somebody now getting arrested mm-hmm. over it, stuff going on. And, you know, on top of all of that, we then have the, you know, the the dilemma of like there's real shit like that going on. Mm-hmm. And it's just fueling the ammunition for people that are, basically anti what we do and using punishment and using training tools and stuff like that. It's just fueling the ammunition for them to just come full speed at us. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's borderline scary a little bit because again, like I've only seen as far as the prosecution is concerned, like legitimate cases where it's a hundred percent warranted and those people 100% deserve everything that's coming for them. Yeah. But it's scary to think how that could shift to like perceived abuse Right. And, you know, kind of making an example out of people that maybe aren't in that position as well. Right. And the Mm -hmm. potential that could come with that. You know what I mean? So so I don't know what's going on with all that, but we're going to definitely get into that next time. Um, You know, additionally, there was a freaking ridiculous (laughs) video that's been going viral uh, that one of my trainers sent me and while I was out of town and um, after she sent me it. I was seeing it get reposted by like every single dog trainer ever. And it was some, some trainer that like made this video of some dog that was like not even doing anything. It basically said like, if you've never been scared for your life around another dog, you have no excuse to ever talk about behavioral euthanasia and stuff like that. And it was just like, just a ridiculous post, oh boy. right? Because yeah. obviously that is such a, it's such a loaded topic in the dog world as well you know when you get into like behavioral euthanasia and where it's appropriate when it's appropriate stuff like that and um that's something else we're going to get into talking about um and just a lot of stuff like that i think you know again we've talked about this a lot the dog world is 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 ever shifting you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and there's always these hot button topics coming up and um you know we're gonna we're gonna do our best to dive into some of that kind of stuff that's gonna be a spicy one. So I gotta get myself like recharged though and ready for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know I, mean? I gotta get the I gotta get the 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 oil and the gears and stuff and just get a little loosened yeah. up with the talking and stuff before we get too into that. So next time we'll do that. That'll be coming here soon for you guys. So like I said, today what we're gonna do is we're gonna be getting into um, just some general dog training Q and A and stuff, trying to answer some questions for all you guys. So I just briefly screenshotted a handful of different comments, questions, stuff like that we've been getting from people. And uh, we're going to kind of burn into some of this kind of stuff. Cool. So let's see what we got here. All right. So this first one here I received Wednesday. Um, This is from Jordan. Jordan asks, you've done a little bit on it, but maybe a longer video on how vet staff should handle dogs at a vet clinic. 
whether they're just too excitable and hard to handle because they are so bonkers or aggressive dogs, how to approach, how to put a muzzle um, for a dog that is trying to eat you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I know my staff would love that. Try to explain things, but visuals get people further and don't always have the time, and she doesn't always have the time for the visuals, right? So basically, in a nutshell, vets. Mm -hmm. How can we improve on those things, right? Yeah. We've talked a lot about this before. This is a hard one, right? Because this is, it's not totally on the vet, right? Like, yeah. obviously, there are some things that I think vets do that can make things worse, right? And I think there's some things that they could do when they encounter difficult dogs that can make it a little bit better. Yeah. But a lot of this falls on, additionally, the owner and then proactively training. You know yeah. what I mean? So looking at, looking at this, we'll look at this from both sides, right? We'll look at this from the side of the vet, and we'll look at this from the side of the owner, right? Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, the number one thing that I always say that vets need to do a better job of is they need to understand that their job is not to be best friends with the dog when they go in for the examination, Yeah. right? That is, that is like arguably the biggest one because the number one place we see things go sideways is when the owner is sitting on the bench over there, the dog is already scared and just glued up next to them. And then some person they don't know comes in face first. Hey buddy, how are you? Oh my God, you're so cute. And like yeah. reaching out to them. And suddenly because that dog is backed up against a wall and they're terrified. And now you got this person doing this weird, crazy, submissive, weak <laughs> thing yeah. to them mm -hmm. suddenly rawr, 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 right not even necessarily trying to bite them but like hey get the fuck away from me yeah. right and then the second that happens the whole energy of the vet visit changes mm -hmm. then the vet is like whoa we got an aggressive dog on our hands yeah. we gotta you know do this and do mm -hmm. that and muzzle them and sedate them and like do all this <laughs> crazy stuff or, or then they try harder of like here take treats do this do that yeah. right when in actuality the dog is not trying to attack them Right? The dog is just scared, and you're doing something that's basically poking their buttons. Yep. You know what I mean? Nine out of ten times, right? The reason why... It's uh, funny. Again, another tangent here, right? Yesterday, we're talking about... We're trying to film more of our, like, befores, right? So, like, we do literally dozens of lessons every week and we see dozens of new dogs every week and for a while we were missing a lot of the first lessons and not filming them right mm -hmm. and ella one of our media girls told me yesterday she was like you know i film all these befores or these first lessons but half the time they're just not that bad and i was thinking about it i was like you know what i was like the reason why they're not that bad is because we understand how to work around a dog that's nervous in a way that's not going to provoke them to act out it's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's a lot of it, right? Like, I'm yeah. sure any of these dogs, if we were to, like, set up some mock scenarios where it's going to, like, put some pressure on them and stuff, yeah. they would all act all crazy, right? Oh, yeah. And don't get me wrong. There's some that will act crazy regardless. Like, we posted a before and after of a dog that I was doing its nails, and I yeah. wasn't even touching the dog. The dog's trying to attack me, right? Um, but, uh, but, but vets can adopt some of those principles, right? When we get a new dog that comes in for training, our training facility is very, to a dog that's never been there before, is very similar to a vet clinic. It mm -hmm. smells like dogs, right? It smells like the cleaners and stuff they use at the vet. You have mm -hmm. some random person you don't know approaching them yep. that is going to handle them on that first session that's mm -hmm. going to touch them and poke them and prod them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. True. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but we understand how to mitigate that in a way where the dog is going to be cool, 
right? Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, when we come into the vet clinic, our number one, or sorry, when a new client comes in or when you take your dog to the vet clinic, if we could simply skip the step of being friends with the dog and just for the first couple minutes come in and just talk to the owner while completely ignoring the dog, right? Mm-hmm. That's one thing right off the rip that we should be doing. Don't come in and reach for the dog. Walk in, totally ignore the dog, and let the dog get used to just for a couple minutes you getting in the room, not paying any mind to them. Mm-hmm. That alone will go a long way, right? <clears throat> yep. Second thing, right? And this is the same process we do, right? When you do need to interact with the dog, right? Don't go and approach and talk to the dog or anything like that. Have the owner hand you the leash and take the dog away from the owner, Mm -hmm. right? If you take them out of that fight or flight zone of them being trapped against that wall that is their owner and you remove them from that, right? Nine out of 10 times, you're getting the dog into a slightly more submissive state of mind. And when you actually go to interact with them, because the owner's over there and in the dog's mind, they're like, I can get away and create space from this person and go back to the owner or something like that, they're no longer in fight or flight. Flight is an option, and they're less likely to aggress on you, right? Mm -hmm. And again, same process we do with every single dog that comes in for a board and train or for a one-on-one class is this. We talk to the owner for a couple minutes. We remove the dog from the owner. Then we go to collar them up. Collaring them up is the equivalent of any vet going in and poking and checking a paw and giving a vaccination or any of those types of things, right? It's the same intrusive kind of behaviors that we're doing, but because we've put in place those steps, it doesn't go bad, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the biggest thing that you could do, right? The second biggest thing you could do if you're working in a vet clinic is seek to understand aggression better, Mm -hmm. right? Now, the reason for that is not because I want you working with aggressive dogs. And if I, I think that if a dog comes in and is actually a bite risk that you should need to handle that dog or anything like that. That's not why I say that. I say that because the better you can understand aggression and the better you can understand behavioral issues when you're working with dogs that aren't that serious, you're going to understand the things you need to do to not put them in a position where they're going to bite. Right. Uh, or make them less likely to bite. Yeah. Right. I'm going to, I wrote this like aggressive dog handbook for my staff a while ago. Mm-hmm. And we did an entire episode where we read it on here. Um, obviously, anybody that's listening to this, if you're interested in those types of things, literally search aggressive dog handbook, David the Dog Trainer podcast, it's and there. you'll find it. And additionally, if you want a paper copy of it, send me an email at david at miraclecaninetraining.com and I will literally send it to you. I'm not trying to hide this stuff from mm-hmm. anybody. Right, We put it all out there because I want you guys all to be safe. I want you guys to understand this. It's a very detailed guide that I wrote that details all of the reasons, in my opinion, why a dog would bite right, and how you go about combating those things. Right. Yeah. So if you can understand that, again, you'll understand how to interact with the dog better where the dog feels safe and doesn't feel like they're going to act out aggressively. And you're going to understand how to sidestep and avoid problems and reduce conflict when you're working with the dog. Mm -hmm. So that's on the... That's on the veterinarian side of things. Yep. Those are things that I think the vet can do. Now, I don't, like I said, I'm not putting all of this responsibility on the vet. Like, you have to do all these different things. But mm-hmm. if you did those things, your job would be a lot easier. I'm just yeah. telling you, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Secondly, getting actually getting back to the conversation of, um, you know, understanding the aggression, I think the more you understand it, the less you'll be scared off by certain things. The amount of times I've had a dog growl at me or bark at me, or kind of snap at me, or something like that, like in that initial exchange. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's happened enough <laughs> yeah. where 
at this point, because I understand those signs the dog is giving me, it doesn't scare me off right away. I was doing a lesson a couple of weeks ago with this dog, and we were working a recall, and I was calling the dog away from the owner, and the dog started, like, baring its teeth, and right? Like, he's mad. He didn't want to come, right? He was nervous, yeah. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the owner was like, oh, my gosh, like, that, if I saw, she worked in a shelter. She's like, oh, my God, if I saw a dog doing that, I would be super nervous. I was like, yeah, but, like, because I've seen this behavior so many times, and I've seen the context of this behavior so many times, I understand understand he's just acting defensively he's not seeking out aggression and yeah. as long as i don't do anything to invade that space and push those buttons he's not mm. going to come over and just like attack me yeah right just that it isn't going to work no. that way right but that's because i understand that and i want vets and i want vet techs to understand those things better as well so they could feel more confident in those scenarios yeah now Switching from the vet side of things to the owner side of things right what are things you could do to help improve Right. First one. Just because she said it in this this question, obviously, mm -hmm. she, she asked, how does the vet go about muzzling a dog? It is not the vet's job to muzzle the dog. Right. That mm -hmm. is an owner issue. If yeah. you have a dog that is going to act out at the vet, you need to do your diligence of getting the dog used to wearing a muzzle. Yep. And the dog needs to be muzzled before you go to the vet. Because if you go to the vet, the dog is all freaked out, and the dog's never wore a muzzle before, and then suddenly the vet's like, hey, we need to muzzle this dog, and they go slap on some poorly fitted muzzle that they had sitting in the back for the last five years. It's just going to make things worse. Mm -hmm. That's it, right? It's not going to help. <laughs> yeah. Right? So I don't care if your dog is a man-eater or if your dog just gets a little grumpy at the vet. Mm -hmm. Muzzle condition your dog, and everybody will feel more safe and secure. Yep. I muzzle Deli and Vinny every time I go to the vet, right? Mm -hmm. We're able to get our exams done. We'd probably be fine if we didn't do it. But I muzzle them at the vet so that everybody feels more safe while they're handling them. Yep. That's it. It's okay. It doesn't mean your dog's a bad dog. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean your dog is an aggressive monster. It just means that you're putting in place proactive measures to help somebody who isn't quite as experienced with your dog feel safe handling them. That's yeah. it. And how much better, like, the whole mood starting off. The whole mood. Yeah. Everything starts off better, mm -hmm. right? So that's one thing owners can do, right? Now, getting your dog used to wearing that muzzle frequently, put it on them. For 15 minutes a day do it for a week mm -hmm. the first time you do it the dog's gonna fight it and hate it it's okay if you want to try to feed a couple treats through it that's fine but they got to realize it's not coming off yep right 15 minutes a day do that you'll be in the clear make sure it's sized up properly fit it up nice and snug so they can't get it off and just let them work through it mm-hmm Pretty much as simple as that. Now, we pretty exclusively use Baskerville muzzles. I think that they're the least intrusive. I think that they're the most secure for the type of muzzle that it is, and they're very, very challenging for dogs to get them off. If they're yep. sized properly, it's almost impossible for them to get that off. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing owners can do. Second thing owners can do is they can work through handling issues on their own. Every time we post videos, of nail trims and every time we post videos of handling things and simulated vet visits everybody gets their fucking panties in a tizzy because they're like oh my god why don't you just give treats to the dog and just work them through it and this and that yeah. the reason why we don't is because we have to prep the dog for tolerating things that they don't necessarily like because the vet in particular is the case in point example of where you're going to need it yeah and if your dog is scared at the vet you have to be able to work through this kind of stuff. Yeah. You have to. It is mm -hmm. non-optional. Yeah. Non-optional. So work through things like that. 
You go watch some of our videos on doing it. You got to start getting the dog used to having things done in a way that they don't necessarily like. Mm -hmm. That's the second thing that you could do. Third thing you could do is you could take your training to a higher level. Why do dogs act so defensively at the vet in the first place? Well, in most cases, it's because they're not being given direction of what to expect or what to do when they're there in the first place. When you go to the vet, if your dog is just free and sniffing around and barking at this person and barking at that dog, and they're wandering around the waiting room until the vet comes in and this and that, they're already in a state of mind of making decisions on their own. Mm -hmm. If we can give direction, we go in the waiting room, put them in a downstay. You got to focus on this right now, dude. We go into the actual exam room. We make them hold a downstay, and then we release them when the vet comes in to let them go and do the examination and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We're giving direction. We're getting them out of the state of mind of making decisions on their own, and we're making it more likely that things are going to go successful. Mm-hmm. That's what's on the owner side of things. Yeah. So let's put all these pieces together. So if the vet waits just a couple minutes and talks to just the owner without acknowledging the dog when they first walk in the room, If the vet doesn't try to be best friends with the dog and just grabs the leash, takes the dog away from the owner, then starts the examination process. If the vet understands aggression a little bit better so that when the dog does inevitably snap or bark or growl or something like that, they're not scared off by it, thinking the dog is an aggressive monster. If the owner muzzle conditions the dog before they go to the vet and wears the muzzle before they go into the vet, If the owner has worked through handling things on their own to make sure the dog is tolerating things they may not necessarily love and teaching them that it's okay and nothing scary is happening, and if the owner has a well-trained dog that they can give direction to when they go to the vet before the examination starts, everything is going to be 10 million times better. (laughs) And I'm shocked I remembered all those steps and was able to verbalize all of them start to finish again, Yeah, that's going to make a good clip. <laughs> that is a good one. Zen. So, so that is, in a nutshell, David the Dog Trainer's guide to making vets better and making sure we have accountability on all sides. Love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it, it's really funny because uh, <laughs> I told Devin, you know, uh, about the, the TikTok you know, comments on a couple of those mm-hmm. nail trim videos. And I, I sent her down the rabbit hole and she was just making fun of everybody pretty much yeah. that was on that. But there was one we were looking at, you know, this, <clears throat> this lady, she was like, well, if you just did it with, you know, with a bunch of treats, like I could get this done in like three weeks. Mm-hmm. And we were, <laughs> we were like, well, David just got it done in like, 30 minutes yeah but <laughs> i just had to tell you that because i remembered that because you know you, you were talking about the, oh, the yeah. treats and stuff but it's just so funny mm-hmm. all right so next question we're gonna call this a question this was like a passive aggressive question on one of those nail trim videos that i want to spin away from being a passive aggressive thing to like an actual real life answer here okay right? so this person commented on the nail trim video we posted yesterday because mm. that's that's like our, we're the nail people. The you know nail I mean? people, we're yeah. Fucking nail people here. <laughs> so this person asks, will the owner be able to cut her nails on their own? Will they be able to do it without the muzzle and without the prongs? So again, it was a passive aggressive snarky like, oh, like, whoa, you couldn't do this if the dog didn't have a muzzle on, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The reason why I want to make this a real life example here, because this is a similar question to a question that we get from people related to something else, which is, Will the dog listen 
if we don't use the e-collar anymore? Or, or when can we fade out the training tools, right? When yeah. can we stop using treats? When can we stop using a prong collar, right? Et cetera, et cetera, right? And it's a totally understandable question most of the time, right? It's, it's, it's a normal question. Like, when can I stop using these things, right? Am I going to be contingent on it for the rest of my life? And the biggest thing I tell everybody is you got to walk before you run, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can't get 17 steps ahead of the game right? First and foremost, anytime we start training with a dog, whether it's we're working handling things and like nail trim related stuff, whether it's we're doing just obedience training, whether we're doing off leash training, whether we're doing whatever trick training, stuff like that. The progression to fading out training tools is slow and meticulous. Meticulous. Is that the right word? Yeah. Meticulous. Meticulous. Did I use it correctly? I think you did. All right, cool. (laughs) It's slow and that word. And that word. And, and the reason for that is because before we worry about the tools, we have to focus on the behavior, mm-hmm. right? So let's say in this example, the target goal is I want to be able to do the dog's nails. Just do them, right? We have put in place a plan for how we can do the nails, how we could be safe while we're doing the nails, and how we mm-hmm. could enforce the process of doing the nails, mm-hmm. right? Whether that's we use a muzzle, whether that's we use treats to reward the process, whether that's we use a correction if the dog is acting out too much, whatever it may be, right? Whatever it may be. What we need to do is we need to use those tools until the dog is consistently performing the behavior or allowing us to do the nails or, or recalling when we need them to or whatever it may be until they're doing that 100% of the time perfectly with the tools on. Right. Once we've hit a point where we are 100% consistent with the tools on, we could tell the dog is doing it with a good state of mind. We could tell that they are no longer needing the consistent reinforcement, whether in the form of positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, negative punishment, whatever it is that we're using to enforce things. From there, we could slowly start fading tools out. Right. So Mm -hmm. let's look at individual tools here. Right. A muzzle. Right. I tell everybody when we're working with dogs that need a muzzle, if a dog is a bite risk, Mm -hmm. right, we should use the muzzle until it feels fucking stupid that we're even using it. Yeah. Right. Until we hit a point where it's like, God, like this is this is so dumb. I'm even putting this on because this dog hasn't even shown an inkling of aggression in so long and this and that. Right. And I would argue that every trainer, regardless of how you train, would agree with that. Right. Mm -hmm. When we're working with dogs with a bite risk, whether you're doing it in a force-free approach or whatever, using the muzzle is the most important part, right? Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of dogs can progress to no longer needing it. I'm very sure that the owner and myself will be able to do this dog's nails without the muzzle. No problem. We do it all the time with board and trains where they start on muzzle and then we don't need it later. Very normal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you get into, let's say, vet visits. Let's say grooming. You're taking the dog to a groomer. You're taking the dog to outside people that are going to need to handle the dog. Mm-hmm. I still choose to use a muzzle with my dogs. And yeah. you could argue all day long, does that mean they're not fixed? Does that mean that they're bad still, this, that? No, it just means I'm being responsible. Yeah. That's it, right? So don't be in a rush to fade out the muzzle, right? Prong collar, Right. Same concept, right? We could use a prong collar and we use it as a training tool to teach a behavior, whether it's, let's say, walking in a heel position, right? Mm. And let's say you hit a point where you put that prong collar on and you've consistently for five months gone for walks and not even needed to use the prong collar and the dog walks beautifully with you and like everything is good and fine and dandy and stuff like that. 
At that point, could you choose to fade that training tool out? You absolutely could. Here's the problem though, right? I still recommend using the training tool in that situation because let's say you go for a walk and then because the dog has been consistent for five months, you go another three months and the dog doesn't even realize the thing isn't on and walks perfectly with you. But then three months later, the dog pulls a little bit mm-hmm. and they realize, hmm, I got away with that. Yeah. And then, you know, two weeks later, they pull a little bit more. They're like, oh, I got away with that. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you start that slippery slope back to what it was before. Yeah. I use the prong collar long-term, or whatever tool you're using. Personally, it's e-collars, not prong collars. Mm -hmm. I use it long-term, not because I need it, but because inevitably there will be a time I need to reinforce the behavior, and I want to make sure I'm in a position to reinforce it so the dog doesn't learn to blow me off. Yeah. Same concept with e-collar. You could have a freaking perfect recall off of the leash, but inevitably, at some point in the dog's 14 years that they're going to be alive, right, or longer or shorter Mm -hmm. or whatever, right, there's going to be a time that they blow you off. And oh, yeah. if they learn that they could blow you off with no reinforcement behind it, it will get stronger and it will start the slippery slope back. Now, mm-hmm. all of the force-free community loves to throw that argument out there. If you didn't have the collar on, the dog wouldn't listen. If you didn't have the muzzle on, you couldn't do it, this, that, whatever. Mm-hmm. It goes both ways. Behavior is contingent on consistent reinforcement. Meaning, if you're taking a force-free approach, say you're only using treats and you train this dog perfectly, which is fine, right? Totally fine, right? But... If you just take away the treats forever, if you take them away forever, <laughs> the dog will not listen. How Never. long are you gonna go to how long are <laughs> you gonna go to work for if you stop getting a paycheck? <laughs> not very long. Not that long. <laughs> not that long. Nope. Right? So it, it go whatever tool it is that you use, right? If you take away the tool indefinitely, right, mm-hmm. it won't work anymore. Yeah, the the dog will not listen anymore. It, that's just the way it works. Yeah, it's literally just the way it works. Now you can get into there's reinforcement schedules and stuff like that. Basically, what a reinforcement schedule is, especially if you're using treats, is you kind of vary where and when you give rewards to keep them constantly guessing. Maybe I'll get something, and that's what a lot of force free trainers argue is that if you're doing good enough variable reward schedules and random reward sc- schedules and stuff like that, that eventually the dog won't ever really need a treat because they're constantly thinking they might get one next time. You tell me how that works for you. Yeah. Tell me how that works for you. <laughs> It'll work in the short term. Yeah. It will work in the short term because when we used to do Mondio Ring, for example, you couldn't use any tools while you're out on the field. And when you're training for like a Mondio 3, for example, which is the highest level of it, your dog may be working for 45, 50 minutes straight without any sort of reward correction, anything like that, Mm -hmm. right? And that's how we train for that is through random and variable reward cycles by essentially creating these cues for the dog that make them think they're about to get rewarded so they Mm -hmm. keep having that energy to go. But that's for 45 minutes. Yeah. Right, that's for 45 minutes, not for like four years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So whatever. So so that that's kind of my answer to that question is to answer the question in the short term, yes, the owner was able to do the nails that day. Mm-hmm. Right. So they can. Right. Will they be able to do it without the tools? Yeah, they will. But why would you want to fade them out? Yeah. There's no reason. No reason. So. All right. What else we got here? I'm going to have to talk to Steve. Be like, hey, can you get us a little soundboard? I need a soundboard. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Next question here. This was on a TikTok video that I made um, on barking. So I made this video. I got a couple questions from people 
that were good, actually good questions, right? And they were basically saying, do you think all barking is bad? It's a good question. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I would say I consistently talk about on videos and podcasts and stuff like that, like correcting barking, stopping barking, this, that. But do I think all of it is bad? No. Mm -hmm. I think it's contingent on the owner, right? So basically I said there's three different types of barking, right? So you have defensive barking, which would be basically any sort of like territorial barking to make something go away, you know, protecting, stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. You have um, demand barking, which is barking to get a rise out of somebody or something, right? Mm -hmm. So dog barks at you until you pet them. Dog barks at you until you let them outside. Dog barks at you until you give them a treat, mm -hmm. right? And then you have nuisance barking. Nuisance barking, the way I describe it, right? And listen, you, I'm sure you could poke holes in this, whatever. Yeah. Nuisance barking, the way I describe it, is literally just barking to bark, right? I have seen dogs that literally don't want anything that just bark for the sake of barking. <laughs> you know, like maybe yeah. we could argue like they always do want something, which is why they do it, right? But like I genuinely think some dogs just bark just to bark. Yeah. Right? Just to be loud. So, so you get into the defensive barking. That I think is inappropriate all the time. I don't see any reason why a dog ever needs to bark defensively at something to make something go away, mm -hmm. right? I think that that is always our job. I think it's an unhealthy state of mind for a dog to be in, and it's something I want to discourage all the time. Yeah. Demand barking, I think initially can be not good for owners because the dog is essentially giving you commands if you really look at it, right? It's like mm -hmm. me saying, dog, sit, Instead, the dog is saying, hey, you, give me a treat, right? <laughs> yeah. And the more and more the dog realizes they could dictate and control your behavior, I think early in the training process can be counterintuitive. I think long-term, if your dog barks at you to go outside or something like that, it's obviously not the end of the world. No. It's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if your dog barks because they want to go for a walk or something like that, if you have good control for your dog, I don't think it's the end of the world. Whatever. you know. Yeah. So that one, I think initially it's a good idea to kind of nix some of, but yeah. long-term, I think that that one is totally up to you and how much of it you want to tolerate, right? Mm -hmm. um, the barking to bark, the nuisance barking, again, that's another one that is 100% dictated on the owner. I've met people that don't care about barking. They're just like, I don't, my dog barks a lot. I don't really care. <laughs> and I've met other people that are just like, my dog needs to literally shut the fuck up because yeah. I am going to go absolutely crazy because all they do is bark, <laughs> right? So that one's totally up to you. So whatever, that's my brief... Um, these are the barking, right? The, the types of barking that there is, right? So this person asked, how do you start stop barking while the dog is walking? And they describe that as nuisance barking. <sighs> I don't know if I would necessarily classify it as nuisance, walk, nuisance barking. I would assume that this means the dog is barking on the walk at dogs, right? Which is like a frustrated, mm -hmm. defensive response typically. Yeah. So it's something I would correct for, obviously. Um, how do we stop it? We be in a position to tell the dog not to do it. Mm -hmm. really straightforward. We talked about dog reactivity all the time. Dog reactivity, I think, is a little deeper. You want to give the dog something to focus on on the walk, right? Typically, like a heel position or something like that. You want to have a means of enforcing that heel position, right? From there, obviously, because the reactivity is coming from this frustrated, aroused response of pulling into the leash constantly, we start getting the dog used to walking in that heel position around the trigger and understand that the arousal level still might be kind of high, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. They're kind of working through some of that stress and realizing I'm not constantly tugging into the leash and the frustration is coming down. You see the arousal come down and stuff like that. From there, um, any remainder signs of it, you could then correct for. 
right? Yeah. And use some sort of tool that's going to suppress your dog's arousal a little bit. And then additionally, obviously use some sort of reward when the dog is doing it correct. Keep that attention shifted on you. Good example with that. I have this dog, Bear, that I'm working with right now. He's like a border collie mix of some sorts. Crazy high energy dog, man, right? Mm -hmm. um, Bear is super, super reactive, right? And yeah. we started off by just focusing on physical positioning, right? Downstays, heel position, stuff like that. He hit a point where he'll do them perfectly. He holds his downstay perfectly around other dogs. He holds his... Um, heel position perfectly around other dogs. And that's reduced the arousal, like let's say like 65%, right? Nice. But he still gets really jacked up when he sees them. He'll hold it literally perfectly. And like in a relaxed, like hip swung to the side position, but he's just so aroused. He's just like, <laughs> right? He just started making noise yeah. and he's obnoxious and, and whatever, right? So we started now incorporating, shifting the attention. So we focused on the physical positioning first, right? We got him 65% of the way. Now we're focusing on shifting that attention away from it. We just took a high, high value reward, right? We were using like blocks of cheese yesterday when we worked him at the park and we were working, shifting that attention away from the dog, right? Yeah. So he would look, he'd get all aroused. He'd check in with me. Yes. Reward. Right. We did that a bunch of times. We got that attention even more shifted us. Mm -hmm. Right. So now he's like 75% of the way. And then our next session, we'll, we'll keep working at it and closing the gap and stuff like that. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the progression of how I start to do that. Nice. Really straightforward. <clears throat> all right. Let's see what we got here. Oof, we're already 45 minutes in. Yeah. Shoot. We'll get a couple more of these. See, these are the long answers. This is what Paige was saying. She's like, you don't do the, you don't do the in-depth answers anymore. <laughs> That's my Paige talk. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do the in-depth answers. I'm doing it. <laughs> Paige, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this for you, Paige. Uh, there you go. <laughs> It's all for you. This whole podcast. This is the page episode. <laughs> all right. Next question. This is uh, this was on Instagram on the same barking video, but an Instagram comment this time. So this person asks, or I should say says, I don't even know if it's a question. My dog literally doesn't stop in the car, literally at nothing half <laughs> of the time or what he thinks is something, but definitely each and every single person, even people who don't even realize he's there drives me insane i don't know how to stop it this is the prime example of what i was talking about with the nuisance barking and some of the people are just like my dog needs to literally shut the fuck up yeah <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> trust me i get it yeah. i own a noisy dog myself i understand the frustration of before i started getting a handle on it it was mm. just like oh my god i'm gonna like rip my hair out of my <laughs> head just stop barking <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so so here's the thing, right? Let's talk about why I see a lot of dogs bark in the crate, or not in the crate, sorry, in the car, and some of the things I do in order to combat that. I feel, I feel it, I'm loosening up a little bit. You know, I'm yeah. feeling it. All right, so here's the thing. I've talked about this before. The car is a very common place we see dogs go absolutely freaking bananas in, right? And it seems like it's for no reason. It's like, why are you so crazy in the car? And if you look at it, it is one of the only places in our day-to-day -day with our dog, that there is just no rules, right? We go in the car, and the dog does whatever the hell they want to do, and they see so much stimulation, right? And there's no rules and structure, mm -hmm. and they just get themselves really jacked up, right? Yeah. You also tack on the fact that everything they see outside of the car, it's like a 365-degree view yeah. of 
being trapped behind a barrier while you see things you want to get to. Dogs, people, strollers, bikes, cars, whatever. Yeah, right? it's true. <clears throat> so because of that, we see a ton of anxiety in the car. Because of that, we see a ton of reactivity in the car. Because of that, we see these dogs just get into this. I mean, how many times do you see dogs literally leaping from like front seat to back seat, to like in the driver's freaking lap? And it's just crazy dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and, it, and it's one of those things that I see it get really out of control really quick for some dogs, right? So, and sometimes it results in the excessive barking. So how do we combat this? First and foremost, understand this. The car is for transportation, not for entertainment, right? So many people get in their head. My dog loves car rides. They get in the car and they stick their head out the window and they just have so much fun and this and that. The People need to realize how dangerous that is, right? Mm-hmm. I do not let my dog stick their head out the window. I never have. I never will. It's so dangerous. The amount of times that I've seen dogs, I I had a client come into the facility one time crying because their dog jumped out of their car right before they got to the facility. I mean, it's just like the reality of stuff like this happening, right? Like Mm -hmm. dogs jump out of the car and break their legs or get hit by a car. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. forget if you have to slam on your brakes while half your dog's body is hanging out the window and you know, like it's yeah, like that. It's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Then you get in. God, this one drives me bananas. Is when I see people that have their dog in their car in their lap while they're driving. Like, oh, bro, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. how are you not getting ticketed for that first? I mean, the cops ticket you for playing on for checking your GPS on your cell phone, but they're not going to ticket you for having a fucking fifty pound dog in your lap. Yeah, like I, I. Do not understand it. No. No part of my brain can wrap around that idea. No way. Right? So first and foremost, understand cars for transportation, not for entertainment purposes. Mm-hmm. Right? Meaning, get your dog in one spot in the car, and the rule is sit down and shut up until we get there. <laughs> That's it. It's yep. That is the way it's got to be. Right? So what do we do? Obviously, when we're in the car, if you're driving, you can't be leash popping and doing this and doing all kinds of stuff like that. So... You could either do this with two people in the car or you could have a remote collar on your center console while you're driving. Couple rules. First and foremost, I always say start with one easy thing. One contained area, back seat. They're not allowed to step on the center console. They're not allowed to step on the side of the door, right? Mm-hmm. Correct for that. You do it? Nope. Nope. Right? Anytime they step on the center console, they step on the window. Nope. That alone solves 99% of issues in the car. Mm-hmm. 99% of issues in the car, right? From there, once you've established that, get your dog into a stationary position. Sit her down. Mm -hmm. Correct them if they get up. Keep them in one spot. Keep them in a stationary position. Make sure there's accountability behind doing it. Your problems will literally go away. It will be as easy as that. It will take you one car ride to get it under control. Dang. (laughs) Easy peasy. That's it. What else we got? Oh. All right. We got like two more, maybe. Okay. Okay. Do, 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 do. All right. This is this is kind of another question slash statement, right? So I had somebody reach out to me July 12th, right, on Instagram. Okay. Reached out. I'll read the whole message. It said, hi, mate. Mate. Hi, hey, mate. mate. Hi, mate. Love the YouTube videos. Learn a lot from your videos. Just have a question. I use the mini educator. I have an American bully, nicely tuned in with his recall, etc. However, sometimes he does seem quite sensitive. To the point and low distractions, he will squint a bit on even a level two. 
I never really have to ever go higher than 10 in high distractions because I did spend a lot of time conditioning the collar properly. Do you think a winged comfort pad will help resolve this and make it more comfortable for him? Ooh, good question. Okay. Let me pull up the actual, yeah, the actual thing. So I replied back. I said, so if you get a standard comfort pad, that will reduce the sensation a bit. But usually if I have a dog that is fairly sensitive, that's a good thing because it means they will try to avoid it more, especially given that under 15 is incredibly low and not painful. I wouldn't want to decrease the sensation more from there, right? So meaning behind that, a lot of people talk about sensitivity with dogs. My dog's really sensitive, right? Mm -hmm. If your dog is really sensitive, that means you won't need to correct them very often. And the couple corrections that you give, because they're so sensitive, they're going to remember and be like, wow, mm -hmm. I'm going to avoid that. Yeah. Maybe if he, my dog jumps on people and they're sensitive and I correct them at a 15 and they're like, whoa, that was a lot, right? They'll be like, okay, cool. Well, I just don't jump anymore because I definitely want to avoid that as opposed to the dog that has a really high kind of pain threshold and you got to mm -hmm. use 100 for it or whatever, yeah. right? So said that initially. Um, there we go. Yeah, yeah, And then the follow-up question to that is really what, what I got to here. He said, thanks for the advice. We'll let you know how I get on. Was just concerned I was borderline correcting him for behaviors instead of communicating, if you know what I mean. So this was the kicker. So I said, totally get it, and a good talking point at that. I think a lot of trainers overcomplicate the e-collar. In the end of the day, whether you're using negative reinforcement or positive punishment, and I put in parentheses, continuous pressure communication or a single tap correction, the e-collar is working because the dog doesn't like it. A lot of people want to be the nice e-collar trainer and word it in a way that makes it seem like that isn't the case, but it's just the way it is. I wouldn't worry too much about feeling like you're correcting. If he cares about that sensation, that just means he'll avoid it faster the next time so that you don't need to use it at all. So he replied back then yesterday. This was a month, actually just over a month later, like a month and a week. And he said, hi, mate. <laughs> he said, I took your advice on, on board about my dog being sensitive, and I understand what you mean by wanting to shut the sensation off faster. I now have a dog that responds instantly when called. Such a pleasure to walk him, can go anywhere without any worries. To be honest, I barely ever have to call him back because he's always checking in where I am and what I'm doing. I've even taught my girlfriend how to use the e-collar, and he is also so focused on her. I said, that rules, right? Dang. That does rule. And, and this is getting back to some other podcast episodes we've done about some people like really sugarcoating the e-collar a little bit. This is the issue. You know what I mean? If you sugarcoat the e-collar too much and you make it seem like anything other than it's working because the dog doesn't like it and wants to avoid it mm -hmm. or it's uncomfortable or yeah. whatever it may be, you fall into the trap of people just constantly trying to use the e-collar so low that they're never actually getting anywhere with the dog. Yeah. Right? They're focused too much on, we talk about the perception level versus the motivation level. Yeah. Just because your dog feels the e-collar doesn't mean they actually care about it. And if you're using it at a perception level where they're feeling it but don't actually care about it, they're never going to learn from it. It's true. What incentive do they have to try to avoid the sensation if they don't care about it? You know what I mean? Like we've used the example before. I could, yeah, you could do this to me all day long and I'm sure it would get annoying at some point, yeah. <laughs> but I really, it, it doesn't bother it. Like yeah. it's fine. I have no incentive to move right yeah. now. Right. At exactly. least not in a timely fashion. Maybe yeah. in an hour I'll be like, oh, okay, fine. I guess I'll go over there. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you started 
whacking yeah, me. Whack. Like, ow, that kind of hurts. Like, I want to stop yeah. quicker, right? That's the way the e-collar works, mm-hmm. right? The e-collar works at a sensation that the dog doesn't like and wants to avoid, no yep. matter what way you're training with it. Mm-hmm. So, thought that was interesting. Yeah. He had a follow-up question to it. He asked, uh, do you only ever use stimulation? I noticed some people like to use the vibration for recaller or for recall. Recaller? Recaller. Recall so they don't have to shout their dog back. Uh, could just vibrate them as a command instead. This could be easily taught, or do you think I'm better off shouting come like I'm already doing? So I talk to people all the time about the vibration setting absolutely has a time and a place. Now, I don't use it as a warning, right? I use the stimulation to enforce everything, and I just vary the intensity of that based on the situation. But vibration or tone on the e-collar can be used typically one of two ways, right? So vibration or tone can be used as your come command, right? So you could teach it to mean come. I tap vibrate button, dog knows that sensation means come back to me. From there, you could enforce it with the stimulation, right? Mm -hmm. Tone could be the same way. I hit the tone, they hear that tone, they're like, oh, I need to go back to dad, right? So you train it just like you would train a come command. So let's say you're training a come command. You said come, and then lured the dog to you, come, then lured the dog to you. You do the same thing. Vibrate, lure the dog to you. Vibrate, lure the dog to you, right? Very, very straightforward process. The second way I've seen trainers use it before is they use it as their negative marker. Right. So how I would say no to a dog, they would tap vibrate or tap tone. Right. Mm -hmm. And all that does is it helps pinpoint the behavior the dog's about to get corrected for. Right. Allows you to have better timing with things. Mm. So that is uh, an additional way you could use it. You use it as a marker. Right. So whether a negative marker or some people use it as a positive marker. Right. Vibrate food, vibrate food, vibrate food. That way you have from your hand, instead of having a clicker and an e-collar, you have your clicker and your e-collar in your hand, mm. right? So those yeah. are a couple of different ways that you could utilize that. That's cool. All right, let's see. We might have one more here. I'd like to hear that uh, that awesome progression, though, for him. You know? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's super cool. It's so cool. All right, last question here. So person messaged me yesterday, said, okay, so another question. My puppy has been in daycare since he was four months old. Mm. He's been going to the same one weekly. Today, a golden retriever apparently got reactive with him, and he got reactive back. They had to separate them for a while, but then later let them out around each other, and they were fine. He also continued to play with other dogs. He, was a, he has a very tiny red mark under his eye. I am always scared of something changing his temperament. Is this something I should be concerned about? Okay, so I'm going to answer this not knowing the context of the daycare or knowing what happened. And this is the issue with daycare, right? Mm -hmm. And again, not that I have an issue with daycare, right? It's one of those things where, again, your call, right? I tell everybody the risks and rewards of of using those things. But um, this is why I don't like them. It's because you don't always know what's going on, right? So, first off, from one incident like that, especially if they were able to get the dogs back together with each other, it probably is not something to be overly concerned about. Mm -hmm. Now, what would I be concerned about? One, I would be concerned about, depending on the age of the dog, it's very common that we'll see dogs as they get older and as they go through maturity, their social needs will change. That doesn't mean that they get more aggressive, but as a dog matures, maybe they can't tolerate as much from the other dogs as they could when they were a puppy. Yeah. Right? Maybe if you were taking them to a daycare where there's 35, 40 dogs all out together and they were able to tolerate that before, that becomes too overwhelming for them as they've matured Mm -hmm. because they can't have places they can escape to. Yeah. Right? Additionally, 
maybe it really wasn't that big of a deal of what happened, but because the daycare was ran by people that don't know that much about canine behavior, they immediately went to, oh my God, this is a dog fight. I got to separate them. Mm -hmm. Right? So, so I would start to seriously look at if you notice this become a progression of, okay, he's repeatedly now having issues at this daycare. He doesn't seem as excited to go there like he used to, yeah. right? He uh, is consistently coming back with scrapes and bumps and bruises on him, which let's talk about that for a second. If you're taking your dog to daycare and you take them semi-regularly, your dog is going to get scrapes and bruises. Yeah. <laughs> whether it's just from playing and getting scratched and stuff like that, you know, whether it's they get into an altercation here or there, which is... I'm frankly normal for dogs that go to daycare on like a weekly or more than once a week basis. Mm -hmm. um, that's normal, right? Um, but I would seriously look at that and I would, I would make sure that the people that are supervising the dog understand the behaviors they're seeing. So I would have asked a lot of questions about what happened. I would have really wanted to get the full context of this is the exact scenario that came about, right? And mm -hmm. I would make sure that they have a plan for how are we going to make sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah. Right. How are we going to make sure we set the dog up for success next time to make sure that this could be a little bit more smooth of a progression for them? Yeah. So short answer, probably wouldn't worry about it too much after one incident. Second answer, I would be very proactive about looking for what the solution is for it. Third answer, I would reassess maybe if you're doing too much daycare with the dog or if the daycare is a little too chaotic for your dog. Yep. And that's how I would get into that one. Mm -hmm. So that's it. Boom. That's our last question. It was good. I thought this was good. A nice uh, little uh, refresher back with some Q&A. Mm -hmm. Like I said, next one, uh, we'll get into some real-life dog training stuff, and we'll kind of go from there with things. Perfect. Josh, got anything good. else to end on? <sighs> Not really. I like the Q&As, man. Yeah. I, I agree with Paige. I think the, the long-form questions really help people out. I agree. I want to do more of them. Keep sending your questions our way. I mean, if you noticed some of those questions I got, say, hey, I have another question for yeah. you. <laughs> because literally, we have some people that just ask me all sorts of questions. Yeah. And I'll keep answering them. So keep sending them if you have yeah. any questions. There you go. Additionally, going to continue to plug. If you guys are ever looking for virtual consults, things like that, we do a lot of them. You could head to MiracleCanineTraining.com, and you could read about how to get enrolled in those. Shoot me an email, David at MiracleCanineTraining.com, and we'll keep kind of plugging that. I haven't done that in a while. So if not, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Yep. Take it easy. See ya.